Today we'll be reading Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Jesus cleanses a leper. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you could make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. We live in an unusual time. Many things feel uncertain. The pandemic continues, heat waves, wildfires, climate change, a shifting moral landscape. We are in the middle of an untimely federal election season. And some authors would speak of our time as a cultural convulsion like the 1960s, a time when shifts in society that would have taken decades are happening within a single year. Where do we ground ourselves? Is anyone guiding history? Where is Jesus in all of this? Does he care about our well-being? Can we expect him to intervene in any way in our personal lives, our families, and our nation? What does it mean for us to be his followers now in our time? In the coming months, we'll be in a series entitled Kingdom Power, based on Matthew 8 through 10. It will provide us with perspective. It will give us answers to the questions I have just raised. Allow me to provide you with some context for this series. Jesus has begun his ministry in Galilee. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Matthew writes that those dwelling in darkness under the shadow of death are seeing a great light. More than ever, living under the shadows of our day, we need to see the light of Jesus. At the end of chapter 4, Matthew makes a summary statement of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is going from village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven and healing every disease and affliction. Great crowds are following him from Israel and beyond. At the end of chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, an almost identical summary statement is made. Like two bookends, the two summary statements set apart the material between them. In between them, we have a revelation of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. In our fall and winter series, We walked through chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We entitled those series, The Beautiful Way. Why? Jesus sits down to teach his disciples and the crowds what it means to follow him. His followers are poor in spirit and meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are merciful and pure in heart. His followers are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They love even their enemies. They pray, fast, and give for the furtherance of God's kingdom, not their own. They're not anxious about their everyday needs, but seek first the kingdom of heaven. They're on the narrow way of Jesus, bearing kingdom fruit, with their lives built on his solid foundation. On the mountain, Jesus has taught the crowds with unique authority. They're amazed. Now in chapters 8 and 9, Matthew chronicles nine stories, ten miracles, 
demonstrating Jesus' unique authority and power over all things. Matthew chapters 8 and 9 offer a slice-of-life view of Jesus' ministry. Like his authoritative teaching, the nine miracle stories show that the kingdom of heaven has truly arrived with his coming. The Sermon on the Mount and the nine miracle stories form a double panel of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is Messiah in word and also the Messiah at work. Then in chapter 10, after the nine stories of chapters 8 and 9, Jesus authoritatively sends his disciples out to do what he has been doing, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, cast out demons, and heal the sick. It's a unique, all-embracing commission. I can't wait to get there. All of the great themes of Matthew are present in these chapters. Faith and doubt, authority and suffering, teaching and divine presence, Jesus' messianic identity and the end of all things, discipleship and sending. The kingdom authority and power of Jesus is juxtaposed with persecution and suffering. Jesus' disciples will need to know who they, were fo- they are following and what they are living for. They will have to make some hard decisions. As we go through these chapters, I pray that we will see Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David. He's the anointed teacher like Moses. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the great shepherd who has compassion on the harassed and helpless. I pray we will gain a deeper understanding of his authority and power over all things, not just some things, all things and that we will grow in our faith in him, go deeper in our understanding of his healing ministry, and understand more fully what it means to be his followers in our day. So, returning to today's passage, Jesus comes down the mountain where he has just taught the Sermon on the Mount. Crowds surround Jesus, but the story focuses on the conversation between Jesus and one person. It is a very personal encounter. If you could have a personal conversation with Jesus today, what would you ask him? What personal need would you bring to him? Do you believe Jesus would take time to hear you? What would he say to you? Take a minute to think about that. The question behind today's passage is this. Can everyone come to Jesus? Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Who are the lepers? Leprosy also known as Hansen's disease, is a chronic infectious disease affecting the skin, the peripheral nerves, the lining of the nose and the eyes. Even today's doctors aren't sure how it spreads. When the sensory nerves are damaged, lepers do not register pain. This leaves the extremities of hands and feet vulnerable to burns and injuries that can result in loss of fingers, toes, hands, and feet. It leaves a person disfigured. At the time of Jesus, the people of Israel, they followed the instructions found in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. At the center of that book, in chapters 13 and 14, we find two long chapters about how to diagnose leprosy, treat lepers, and affirm their cleansing. 
People with skin diseases like leprosy were supposed to isolate themselves from others and warn people they were sick. They were to wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their faces and shout, unclean, unclean, when people came near them. Can you imagine entering a room and yelling, hey everyone, I'm unclean, I can't be touched, I shouldn't even be here. Why were they to do this? Because their disease was contagious. They were ritually unclean. They were to be excluded from all life and worship. They were considered a danger to others. As long as their condition persisted, lepers had no place in society and had to live away from everyone else. Any person contacting them would also be then excluded. No other disease carried the same stigma. The leper was an outcast, was regarded with horror. Nothing evoked more fear, more dread, or more revulsion than the sight of these walking dead. The smell of their decaying bodies would announce their presence long before their tattered clothing could be seen. They represented all that might pollute society, all that the Jews had to protect the community from. They were considered cursed by God, under God's judgment, the most vivid illustration of sin. The greatest suffering of the leper was not their physical suffering, but their rejection, exclusion from community life, from worship, from people. Who is the leper for you and me? I remember walking with a pastor in Asia. He was from a people group considered to be outside the social structure, not from the lowest class, but an outcast, not even on the social ladder. People on the social ladder did not want to fall under his shadow. His ethnic group was considered to be cursed. Who is the leper for you and me? Is it a person from another religion, another race, uh, another political party, another generation, or another sexual orientation? Who would we exclude from the company of Jesus? The question behind today's story is, can everyone come to Jesus Sometimes we exclude ourselves from the company of Jesus. We feel we're not worthy. Would you exclude yourself today? On the outskirts of Cairo, when Father Saman began to reach out to the garbage collectors of Garbage City, the families would retreat to the back corners of their humble dwellings. They saw themselves as filthy, unworthy of his presence. Would you exclude yourself today? It's not unusual for someone to say to me, if I told you what I have done, you would not believe it. Jesus cannot forgive me. And you wouldn't want to be identified with me. Often our sin begins to identify us. It burns within us. I am lust, adultery, a lie, a hypocrite, a materialist, a cynic, or however you might want to identify yourself. This idea that we have committed the sin that Jesus cannot forgive, the sin that excludes us from Jesus' saving, loving hand, is a lie of Satan. It is the lie that keeps us from him. It is a lie that separates us. The truth is that none of us are worthy of approaching Jesus. But anyone can come to Jesus. In our story, does the leper follow the cultural protocols? No. He does not yell, unclean, unclean. Rather, he kneels before Jesus, worships him, and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He goes against all the protocols of the day to make a bold request. 
When he says, if you will, what is he saying? You see, the leper has heard of Jesus' widespread healing ministry. He knows healings of leprosy are practically unheard of and considered to be on a par with raising the dead. But he is also aware of a common belief of his time. It was believed that in the time of the Messiah, there would be no leprosy. The leper has faith. Faith. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The leper believes Jesus is the promised Messiah. He believes Jesus has the authority to heal him. He believes his healing would bear witness to who Jesus is. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says over and over again, my works bear witness to me. Believe. Do we believe Jesus to be who he says he is? Do we believe he has authority and power over all things? Do we come to him with unqualified trust? The leper risks it all. Every person in the crowd is judging him. He's endangered everyone. But he does not fear the crowds. His only fear is that Jesus will pass him by. It is now only a question of Jesus' will. What will Jesus do? What will Jesus do? That's the question. Verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus does not resent his approach. He does not judge him or shoo him away. Rather, he stretches out his hand toward him and touches him. This double expression, it emphasizes the significance of Jesus' action. The the leper, he knelt before Jesus, but he did not touch Jesus. Jesus touched him. The Gospel of Mark says Jesus felt compassion. The same word Matthew uses to describe Jesus in chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus views the crowds and he sees them as harassed and helpless. Jesus saw the leper's desperate condition and he felt it in his gut. It twisted his stomach. When was the last time this leper had been touched? When was the last time he had felt the compassionate touch of another person? Jesus didn't have to touch him. In the Old Testament, when Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, a leper, came to the prophet Elisha for healing, Elisha did not touch him. In other healing encounters, Jesus used only words. Sometimes he healed from a distance. Certainly those around Jesus would have been horrified. Jesus was not supposed to come close to this man. It would make him unclean. Jesus is communicating something profound to the leper and to the crowds who are watching. What does his touch communicate? Jesus does not become unclean by touching the leper. The impurity does not spread to him. Jesus cannot be defiled by leprosy or any other disease. Rather, his touch makes the leper clean. His contact purifies the diseased man. Jesus has power over sin and disease. Jesus makes the unclean clean. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He is the Holy One. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has the power to heal and cleanse. It flows from him to the leper to conquer the disease and cleanse him. Jesus can touch anyone. In this story, Jesus is willing to break all the Jewish taboos to help the suffering. 
He shows compassion. He accepts the leper and restores him. The leper is not an untouchable, cursed by God. He is loved. Who would Jesus heal that we believe to be cursed? Who would Jesus include that we would exclude? Would Jesus heal you and me? Jesus reaches out and touches us in our places of greatest need. Verse 3, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus says, I'm willing. His will is decisive. He has the authority and power. All he needs to do is decide and act. Jesus can heal the most dreaded disease, even what we consider to be horrific, beyond cure. In Matthew chapter 4, when Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry, he writes this, Matthew 4, 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. The general description various diseases and pains. It's divided into three subcategories. Those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, and those paralyzed. The word seizure refers to any kind of mental illness or irrational behavior. In other words, Jesus heals spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical illnesses. Jesus brings healing for the whole person. Some may argue that this healing ministry was restricted to the time of Jesus or the time of his first disciples, the apostles. Firstly, that is not the clear teaching of the New Testament. Secondly, we have miracles recorded throughout the last two millennia since Jesus' resurrection and ascension. If you have doubts, I would encourage you to read the New Testament and then read a few books, like Lee Strobel's The Case for Miracles or Craig Keener's two-volume work, Miracles. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Today, the focus is on the leper. For the leper, healing certainly meant the curing of his skin disease. But more importantly, in this moment, it meant restoration to the community, inclusion, and the restoration of honor. That's why Jesus says the following to him in verse 4. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Significantly, the story concludes with Jesus instructing the man to take his sacrifice and show himself to the priests, according to the Old Testament prescriptions for lepers who who claimed healing. Why does Jesus ask him to obey the law? Jesus has healed him, cleansed him. Why does he still need to go to the priest? Firstly, we need to see that Jesus leaves out the first and second phases of the purification rituals as prescribed in Leviticus chapter 14. Jesus has already removed the impurity from the man, the first phase of cleaning, and has already declared the man clean, the second phase of of cleansing. What remains is the sacrifice of the third phase so that the priest would allow him to be readmitted to full communal and spiritual life, re-enter society. Jesus has much more for the leper than physical healing. He wants to see the leper restored to full relationship with his community. He has more for us than physical healing. He wants to see us restored fully. The leper goes to the priest, not to be made clean, but to be included 
Jesus can restore anyone. Jesus does say something curious. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone. Can you imagine the leper trying to stay quiet? This summer, my daughter and son-in-law came out to BC from Montreal. They brought Leon, my grandson. I'd been watching him develop on videos and FaceTime, but now I was with him face-to-face. One afternoon, he was crawling on the floor, rolling over my legs, and then suddenly he stood up on his own for the first time and clapped his hands. I was so excited. I shouted, and then he cried and sat down. Can you imagine how excited the leper was after being healed? He probably wanted to hug everyone, but also felt more awkward than we do these days. Does this person want me to stay six feet away, shake my hand, or give me a hug? Why would Jesus ask him to remain silent? Firstly, the leper needed to show himself to the priest and receive official sanction to re-enter society. Others around him would want to know that he was truly cured. The reinstatement process would take weeks. The offerings would be made in the temple a long journey from Galilee to Jerusalem and back. The process would take time before the cure was declared complete, before he'd be welcomed back into Galilean society. Secondly, by obeying the law, the cured leper would become the occasion for the law to confirm Jesus' power and authority to heal. The leper's cleansing would be a witness to the priest and the crowds. The time of the Messiah had come. People would have to make a decision. Thirdly, this command to be silent showed that Jesus was not presenting himself as a mere wonder worker who could be pressured by the crowds to be the kind of Messiah they wanted. Their views were often more materialistic, more political. Jesus had come to do the Father's will, not theirs. He had come to bring healing, not to trounce the Romans. He did not want people to come just for the miracles. He wanted people to come to know him. As the Gospel of Mark records, when the cleansed leper disobeyed Jesus' request, he only made Jesus' mission more difficult. Because he spread the word everywhere that he had been healed, Jesus could no longer enter a town or village. The leper was healed physically, but disobeyed Jesus' instruction. For all a work in progress, there was more going on in the life of the leper than physical illness. At the end of the first three healing stories in chapter 8, the first triad that we will read, Matthew writes some very important words. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases, Matthew 8, 17. Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, verse 4. Jesus is our healer. Jesus heals physical illness. He heals mental and emotional illness. He restores us to relationship with others. He removes our shame. But most importantly, he came to restore our relationship with God As I said earlier, leprosy was considered to be a vivid physical image of the spiritual sickness called sin. Sin is ugly, loathsome, contaminating. It separates people from God, separates people from one another. It makes people outcasts. Like leprosy, sin is inside us, deeper than what is visible on the surface, always spreading, always defiling, always isolating. It is incurable. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew 5, 8. How can our hearts be made pure? 
How can we enter God's presence? When the angel appeared to the father of Jesus, Joseph, he said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21. Jesus' primary mission was to cleanse us of our sin, to remove that most hideous leprosy of our soul. Through his sacrificial death, Jesus took on the most horrific of diseases, sin. All of our failures to measure up to God's holiness, our missing of the mark, our willful rebellion, our striving to live independently of God, every adulterous thought, hateful attitude, and evil action that offends who God is. Jesus took our sin upon himself when he died in our place on the cross to bring true spiritual cleansing, to remove that leprosy. Do you want to be touched by Jesus? Jesus, who was pure, became sin on our behalf because we desperately needed for him to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Only he can cleanse us of our sin. Only he can restore us to right relationship with God. Apart from Jesus, we remain under the shadow of death, but by God's grace, his light can enter our hearts. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jesus invites us to be cleansed, to be made whole. Do we want to be healed? Do we want to have conversation with him today? As he stretched out his hand and touched the leper, he stretches out his hand to touch us. Will we receive his compassionate touch today? Will we receive his cleansing? Will we receive his invitation to relationship with him? Will we allow him to restore us, to restore our dignity, to make us whole? In our passage today, Jesus touches a leper and includes him. Who is Jesus asking you to touch with compassion today? Who is Jesus asking you to pray for? Who is Jesus asking you to include in your your circle of friendship? Who is Jesus asking you to be family to? I want to pray for those who just sense a deep need for Jesus' touch today. Jesus, touch on your own life. And then I want to pray for all of us that we would be that healing presence in the lives of others, that we would live with that compassionate touch, a willingness to include people in our lives. Let's pray. So if you're needing Jesus' healing touch today, then I would invite you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the way that you reach out to all people. And sometimes, Lord, I feel like that leper needing healing touch. Lord, I pray for those who uh, need spiritual healing today, who have never surrendered their lives to you. 
May they know, Jesus, that you gave your life for them and that their sin, it does not keep them from you. It only keeps them from you if they don't surrender their lives to you and ask for forgiveness. And so if that's you today, pray with me. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Touch me. Cleanse me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I have done so many things wrong. And I'm overwhelmed with your, your love for me. Jesus, I want to be your follower. I want you to lead me. I want you to restore me. Jesus, I need you. I invite you into my life. Teach me what it means to follow you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. And now for those of you who perhaps need physical healing or relational healing, pray with me. Jesus, I pray for your healing touch on my life. I pray, Lord, that my relationships would be healed. I pray that I would forgive those that I need to forgive. Lord, I want to reach out in love to those that need my touch today. Lord, I also ask uh, for physical healing where I'm in need of physical restoration. Lord, sometimes my thoughts run wild and I'm anxious and, and struggling to even think clearly. I pray for healing of my mental suffering, Lord. Bring emotional healing to my heart. Lord, teach me to walk in your healing. I thank you, Jesus, for your compassion on me. That you feel what I feel and you want to see me restored. And so I just surrender myself to you and in faith I look to you as the leper looked to you and I say, Lord, restore me, heal me, make me clean. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, in your walk toward healing, you may want to talk with a friend who follows Jesus. Maybe it's your life group or discipleship group. Please do not keep your journey to yourself. Jesus wants us to be walking with others. I'm going to leave you with a few questions, and uh, they're there for your reflection.